Today on the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, we're talking about five things you can do to make your deals larger. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Looking forward to giving you this with Brian Burns and I, and please stick around so you can find out how I can buy you a cup of coffee. to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Before we get started today, just a reminder, if you want a cup of coffee on us, just go to our website, b2brevexec.com, fill out the feedback form, and uh, we'll shoot you a gift card on us. Go get a cup of coffee uh, as a thank you for your time and your information. We're, we're interested in making sure that the show remains valuable, moves in a direction that's going to keep you guys listening, and that, that feedback form is an extremely important part of that. So please take the time to do that, and uh, like I said, we'll send you a gift card for a cup of coffee on us. Today, we're going to spend time with Brian Burns talking about the five things you can do to make your deals larger. This is something that all sales reps struggle with, especially today as the buying processes get more complex. There are more stakeholders involved uh, in the deals. Larger the deal, more stakeholders you end up having. So how do you negotiate that landscape in order to make your deals as large as they possibly can? Brian and I spent some time kind of breaking down those top five things you guys should be aware of. And without further ado, we'll roll right into the interview. Hey, Chad, let's talk about how to get deals bigger. I think everybody wants that. And I think it's the smarter way of selling instead of trying to do a bunch of tiny little deals all the time. The, the person who really seems to blow it away that I've seen is the person who's able to do big deals. Well, big deals, I mean, that's, you know, everybody wants the bigger commission checks, right? In fact, I was just talking to a, uh, a person who used to work for me yesterday. She's like, do you remember the first time you got your, you know, your first $50,000 commission check? And I'm like, oh, yes, I do. I know exactly where I was standing. But yeah. then when you think about everything that goes into that, right, the work, and when you're talking about big, large-scale B2B enterprise deals that can be 18, 24. I mean, I've worked on some that have been 36 months of a sales cycle. And so in order to really make sure that those are, are moving and you're focused, you, one of the things that I think you have to do is you've you got to focus on making sure you understand the business and can quantify the ROI back to each of the stakeholders, not to the business as a whole, because they'll probably be a little bit different for each of the stakeholders because they're all going to have different metrics. So being able to really dive into that ROI quantification and talk to them, collaborate with them on building the internal business case so they can go sell it internally when they have to, I think that becomes really key. Yeah. I mean, in my book, I, I call it the business justification and staying away from proposals where I, I kind of came up, not like I discovered it, but I, I started, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was working on this huge deal at this, you know, this tiny startup that I was at. They literally had, you know, maybe 100K of product revenue when I showed up. And here I was working on like a $2 million deal. And, you know, we had to justify it. And it was such an arcane or abstract technology. We couldn't talk about the product. We had to talk about, um, you know, what was the, the real transformation it was going to give their business. We were really automating how they set up servers and laid out the software. It was, you know, back at the ASP application service providers, which, you know, today is what you would think of as um, Amazon Web Services. <laughs> and, you know, so it was transformational. But you, you had to basically create a document that people could pass around. And my, my, the magic I had with it is I always called it draft. 
And <laughs> it's amazing how powerful that word is. Yeah. <laughs> Because no matter what's wrong with it, you can always say, oh, it's just a draft. Oh, and, every, oh, and everyone forgives you. you know? <laughs> and, and you can send it to people asking for feedback. You put their logo on it. You make it look like they wrote it. You put their names on it. And, you know, and you, you, you basically show that you didn't done the due diligence. You looked at all the alternatives. This is why you picked it. And you got to build in that business case of how quickly can they pay for this? How how soon is it going to make money for them? And if you do that out, you know, five, 10 years with that nice hockey stick grab, <laughs> right? that's what people care about. And, you know, talking about it in the terms that they care about, those are the things that are going to get to the deals that are bigger. It's not going to be a you know, a, a great demo to the CEO. It's going to be talking in the things that they care about and then having it, it has to be documented so that you, they can see it in graph visual forms and to be able to, you know, is it made up? You know, it's math. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, it, but if, if you do it once and I basically took that and I had every sales rep in the company wanting a copy of it and they, they started using it, but but none of them really did anything with it. You know, six months later, you say, nah, I just send a quote. And like, <laughs> because that's and easy. Like, that's it's easy. super easy. That's the easy out, right? That's easy out. If you want a bigger deal, you got to spend the time. And, and if you can do that ROI calculation, like you're talking about, if you can show that, then it also, and my again, my reps used to hate when I would say this, I say, pricing is a phantom objection. If they're telling you you're too expensive, you haven't shown them the value to their business. You haven't shown them the ROI. And if you can do that, it also helps you in the in the negotiation where they're trying to squeeze you, or even with procurement. I've used it with you know that approach with procurement before. But being able to show the long long-term returns to the business. You know, a $2 million investment sounds like a lot until you realize that in the next three years, they're going to make 20. So it's, you know, 10%, come on, you can do that. You can have that conversation with a, with a power person if you've got the numbers to back it up. Now, like you said, does it have to be 100% accurate? No. But to show that you're thinking that way, and then to actually, you can even, I've leveraged in the past, I said, hey, you know what? I think this model's right. I think this, but I would love to talk to your CFO. Can I get 30 minutes with your CFO? Let's validate this, right? And it also becomes a way for you to, to get to those other stakeholders because you're thinking about things that they care about. You're thinking about the value to the business. And if you can start to demonstrate that, then the deal sizes just get larger. And that's it. And if you can even you know, extrapolate it into market capitalization or evaluation for a private company, because if you're talking to the right people, which number one is get up the org chart, you're not, <laughs> right. not going to do a seven figure deal with an end user. You know, <laughs> it just won't happen. And the likelihood that that end user has the political savvy to work the organization, they can help you. You know, you could be partners in crime, but they're not going to be able to do it on their own, you know, because they're, they're going to basically, oh, I ran it by them and they're thinking about it. That's what you're going to end up getting. Well, you can't sell to somebody who can't buy at the end of the day, right? You can spend, and in, it's really hard sometimes in, in B2B enterprise organizations to try and figure out, uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of different ways to classify them. Are they a mobilizer? Are they a friend? Are they a talker? It depends on, again, depends on the sales methodology. But at the end of the day, um, you really got to get to that person who has the authority to buy. And, and you can spend, I've seen reps spend countless cycles working on somebody that isn't, they, maybe not even an influencer. They just happen to show 
show up on the org chart. We always talk about, uh, I always ask the reps, find the guy with the swing line stapler, right? It's an office space reference for those that, that didn't catch that. <laughs> um, find, cause like if you look at the org chart, right, even your C level guys, they're going to have people that they trust, that they, you know, believe in that may not necessarily be right in line in the org chart. So you're looking for that, sometimes looking for that phantom org chart. Just because this guy reports to one guy away from the CEO doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to influence anything. So asking those questions and really understanding not just the org chart on the paper so you have some sort of map to go up, but understanding it in, I don't know, in more in three dimensions because there are other things that influence that. And you got to have a plan going in, especially in large, long-scale sales. you got to have a plan for how you're going to get up to the people that actually uh, have the authority to sign seven-figure deals. I mean, that's a that's a big investment, right? That's that's career changing or career ending, depending depending on how bad it goes. So you really got to get to the people who have you know the the stake in the game and then have the authority to sign that. That's it. And if you look back at any of those, I'm thinking through the seven figure deals that I've done in my career. You know, there wasn't one of them where I didn't have that. You know, whether you call it the Fox from you know Holden's book or the Champion <laughs> yep. or the Maverick, you know, there's somebody there that gets a huge personal win by buying your product. You know, it's career changing for them. You know, that the two million dollar deal. There was a young first line manager who you know worked. He was there every night to eight o'clock. He was, you know, he was wanted to move up the org chart really fast. He was looking for anything that would, you know, put a, a feather in his cap. And he saw that in this product and we worked together and he knew the internals there, but you know, he didn't know how the company really bought things or what the CEO needed. And, you know, we worked together and, you know, would, we built out, you know, a hypothetical production of it. We worked on the business justification of it. But, you know, could I have done it without him? Probably not. I probably could have got a 200K deal or a 50K deal, but I couldn't have got a $2 million deal. Yeah, that's a really good point. And every, you know, I'm with you as I think through those large deals that I've done, there's always been, and it, and it often has not been, as I think back, has not been the power person, has not been the person Never. who can buy. Right? Never. But there's somebody who gets it. Um, I think it was somebody in an HBR article referred to those as mobilizers, people that actually have the ability to kind of influence the internal organization. But you have to have that coach or mobilizer, whatever it is, but you have to develop that relationship based on trust. Like you have to trust the information they're giving them. Cause I always used to say, look, it, when a customer, when a contact tells you something, don't believe it until you've heard it from three other places. So it's all about triangulation. But if you can find that one mobilizer, if you find that person who gets it, really gets it, has a vested personal interest. And I think that's key. Then they can help kind of read the tea leaves of the org chart and help guide you on the steps that need to get you up into the organization. So the deal sizes stay large. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking through, you know, I did a f early in my career, you know, I half lucked out. Yeah. I did a, like a $5 million deal with a $50 million company. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was a similar type thing where I had a ambitious first line manager who saw that our product gave them a competitive advantage enormous competitive advantage to their customer. I then went to their customer and explained how our product gave them that advantage. And then he, um, you know, ushered, you know, me, my manager, my CEO in front of his CEO, in front of the board members. And it was this partnership 
that had happened. And, and if we went straight to the CEO, he had no idea what we did. He had no, <laughs> you know, he couldn't tell us different than, you know, the people next to us and didn't want to spend the time to figure it out. You know, that's why, you know, the top down, it, it's great to get a referral from the CEO to the right person. But the people who try and immediately convince the CEO today I don't think that's nearly as effective as it was a long time ago. Well, and not with, I mean, not with deal sizes, not when you're getting up into seven figures. It's just not, I mean, the CEOs want, they want to move really, really fast, but they want to minimize their risk. And so you might get a referral into the CEO and the CEO, if what I've seen over and over, he's going to, he's going to refer you. All right. And you need to talk to my VP of this or my VP of that. Like go talk to that person. And what I've seen, unfortunately, is reps forget to purchase what we call the return ticket. Like, okay, I'll go talk to these guys. I just want to make sure I have the opportunity to come back to you and get your perspective on it. A lot of them forget that last little hook, right? Like you were at the top, they're going to push you into the org, but you got to make sure you can get back, right? You got to have that return ticket to get back to them uh, and and bring those other people that you're talking to with them. Bring, you know, that consensus building uh, up around your, your power players uh, so that they feel more comfortable going with a deal, you know, going with you specifically and going with a deal that's going to be that large and that expensive. Yeah, I like that return ticket idea. You know, I've always thought of, you know, just always get the next meeting after that meeting. But when you get that referral, getting the return ticket, you're not going to ask, oh, can I have the next meeting? He goes, no, no. Didn't you listen to me? (laughs) Excuse me, I was blowing you off. Did you not hear me? (laughs) (laughs) But your, your point of, you know, getting commitment to get their feedback afterwards is like getting that next meeting without getting it. Right. You just need the commitment. We'll come back to you when I have something important to say, but just remember when you see me come back, there's, there's, there's a reason I'm back, right? It's not just another, you know, cold call or me annoying you. Like I've literally done what you've asked and I, I need your perspective. And so having that hook, because it's, it's funny, you can see, I've seen some really ultra high performers be able to, I mean, some of these guys can just walk in to the C-level or I've seen them walk into the board level and they have great conversations. And then of course you get pushed into, all right, I'm selling a, I'm selling an IT solution. So now I'm talking to the EVP of IT or the CTO, but I forgot that I'm going to need to go back to get you know input from the board or the CEO on board, and they don't they don't do that return ticket, and they end up getting stymied, like it just stalls because the CTO is like, well, I talked to you because the boss has said I had to, but I don't necessarily see it. Right. So, you know what I mean? So it's just that making sure, and, and I we used to call it thinking strategically, like don't don't forget where you've been on your map, and make sure you've got a plan to get back there. Yeah, because I, I don't see or I can't imagine today, you know, a legitimate CEO telling some department to use this product, you know, because they don't they want the users of it bought in. I mean, even any manager, you know, would be smart enough to run it by the team before you know they pick an expense system or, a, you know, a travel service or something because they want the people to use it. And I'm sure, you know, every manager and CEO has been burnt by spending a lot of money on a product that ends up, you know, not being used. And that just turns into wasted money. So that, you know, they want their team bought into it. And they're not just going to take some sales rep's word for it. Imagine your board sets a target of 20% revenue growth in 18 months. So something will have to change with your sales team. How do you beat your target? 
Value Prime Solutions can help ensure your managers and reps are leveraging a sales framework that focuses on value, not price. Don't assume you have it all figured out. Don't wait until it's too late. Visit valueprimesolutions.com and let them help. I want to. I do want to change my list. I know we talked about this before, but you just said something earlier that that made me think of a way that I've seen several reps get their deals larger, and that's customer pressure. You mentioned going to a customer, and I've seen you know when you get into those large deals and you're trying to sell. Uh, let's say you're selling. We're making this up so nobody get upset, but let's just say you're selling something to, to, to FedEx and FedEx doesn't, they don't want to buy, but you know, one of their largest customers happens to be Amazon, right? And I'm using really large brands to illustrate the point, but if FedEx doesn't want to buy, they don't want to bite, but you've been able to show the ROI. I've actually seen reps go out and get the top customers of their target customer and show them, hey, this is what we're thinking we're doing. This is what it would mean to you as FedEx customer. So then that customer turns around and applies pressure uh, to FedEx, right? To your primary target. It takes a little bit more time uh, and it takes, you know, making sure you've got some contacts and stuff. But when I've seen uh, pricing negotiations or deals stall and you know, like you can, you can validate the business, you know, return that your client, your, your client's going to see going and talking to their customers to get their customers input can be a a very effective strategy for making sure that, uh, you know, you're getting that deal done. And then that customer feels more comfortable buying from you. Yeah, that, that is enormously effective. And I spend a lot of time selling to the federal government. <laughs> oh, and reps would sector. typically make the mistake of either only selling to the integrators or only selling to the agencies. Now, the federal government doesn't really build anything of its own. They're kind of like the administrators of what goes on. They And they contract out pretty much everything. So what I always did, I'd go into the the agency and I'd explain the productivity benefits of our product over the alternatives. And then I would go to everyone who bid on their projects and I go, well, you know, and I'd say some general, you know, is very concerned about this. We briefed him on it. You may want to put this into your proposal. And sometimes they would just put it into the proposal just because I told them that the customer wanted it. You know, <laughs> and we were talking about, you know, 500K piece of hardware. This was not like, you know, you know, some SaaS license for $12 a month. This was a major commitment. And, you know, even then they buy it and a lot of reps wouldn't then get them to use it. If they don't use it, they don't buy more. They don't <laughs> renew maintenance. They right. don't, they're not a referral. Well, and that's just it. I mean, if you can actually, I mean, a lot of reps will spend time trying to get, and I've, and I've done this. I've, I've run down the rat hole when I was, when I was carrying a bag of, I'm, look, I'm telling you, this is going to whatever, increase your revenue, increase your margin. This is, I can show you this. And, and for some reason I haven't gotten the click, right? There's just not that, you don't see the click, you don't see the light bulb go on in power's eyes, whatever it is. Um, and, and it turns out in the vast majority of cases, it's fear. Like we're talking about a really big change, deal, yeah. right? It's fear of change. It's fear of that investment. What if it goes wrong? I'm not sure how it will impact my business or my customers. Um, and so by going out and talking to and, and bringing those customers, their customers into that dialogue uh, reduces that fear. I've seen it reduce that fear. And as, and as a, like I said, it does take a little bit more time. Um, and, and it may, in some cases, make it even a little bit more complex. But that doesn't necessarily mean it won't result in a larger signing signature on the contract, which is really what we're after. Yeah. My next one is, you know, people don't think about this, is find out a way 
of financing the deal for them. Uh, Either, yeah. you know, especially when you're talking six, seven figures or you're trying to get a multi-year agreement. Uh, and guess what you want as a sales rep? Do you want them to pay or buy over five years? No, you want them to buy all at once. Yeah. <laughs> My commission check needs you to buy now. <laughs> right. Because you know how you get comped on it next year. They just add it to your quota. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which means you don't get paid for it, essentially. And, you know, so that what you want to do is pull it in. And, you know, certainly back, um, you know, there's certainly the SaaS people do this today. They want, you know, a two or a three or a five year deal that makes it look more like enterprise software than it does SaaS. Um, and back in enterprise software, what you wanted them to do is prepay maintenance. You wanted them to, you know, remember run times, oh, you know, the embed- yeah. embedded <laughs> licenses. You want- <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you, you know, the company doesn't, your corporation doesn't finance it. What you do is you try and find a leasing company or a bank or somebody. And, you know, especially today with interest rates being so low. And if the company has great financials, it's usually pretty easy. Yeah. Well, and, and there's, so there's helping them find the outside financing, but there's also, I've spent a lot of time. And again, this is more, especially for big organizations. I had a, one of the large telecoms, which I won't name names on this one, but one of the large telecoms, uh, I ended up doing a really large deal with, but when the first conversations I had, I have 80, they have $80,000 in budget. And I'm like, well, you can't shake our hand for less than a quarter of a million to get started, right? <laughs> so, so we started talking to him, and we got to a point where the proposal was up into seven figures. And he's, you know, I found some of the money in in his own budget, but what we did was we teamed up with other um, budget holders, other silos in the organization that would benefit from the initiative, and convinced them to make up the difference. And so it does a couple of things if you can do that. If you can find the internal budget, uh, it gives you an opportunity to get more people involved. Now, again, it increases complexity in terms of number of stakeholders, but if you can manage it effectively, you can help your target you know, silo in your customer go find money from other areas in the organization that are going to uh, benefit from it. And then there's always the slush fund. Like I haven't run into a company yet where if you can if you can make a compelling case uh, to the right person at power, it's amazing how quick they can reallocate budget. <laughs> yeah, I mean budget is yeah, bullshit, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's the, essentially the price thing. It's just like you haven't interested me enough. Let me give you some. You know, it's like I'm just looking. Right. right? It's, it's <laughs> yeah. that I'm just that knee jerk reaction, and you know. It, and I always talk about, you know, you should be able to prevent every objection because you hear the same ones all over the time. It's not, you know, when was the last time you heard a new objection? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, oh, the only time you hear that is miscommunication. They just don't understand what you're talking about. Um, and if you go, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Brian, with this financing stuff. Go down to your CFO and say, like, you know, do you know any finance companies when we buy big stuff? You know, how do you amateurize it over, you know, the lifetime of the product? How do you depreciate it? You know, who would you go to? And those CFOs, they probably got, you know, a stack of business cards of people who call, cold call them trying to finance stuff for them. Exactly. I mean, and again, that goes back to, I mean, we've touched on this several times. You have at your disposal in your organization the same types of people 
that you're selling to in these large organizations, why not use them? I honestly think CFO is far underutilized in complex sales, your own CFO. Like get them involved in helping with the financing or, or even the ROI calculations or, or things like that. So, I mean, if you can do that and leverage what you've got internally and help them find the money, uh, again, it reduces that fear and, and their perception of risk. Yeah. And, and I bet they would dig it because they're sitting around, you know, entering stuff into a spreadsheet all day. And, you know, if they can say, oh, I helped close this deal, that's a big and they, they feel part of it. And they don't look at you as, you know, some robber baron trying to, you know, cheat. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, overpaid and, you know, overstaked. You know, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had, I had one, this is totally an aside. I had a CFO who, got on me one time when I was an individual contributor about uh, the, a movie had shown up on my um, uh, hotel bill. He's like, well, we don't, we don't pay for movies. And I was like, well, all right, I get that. But I was working and just had that in on the background. He said, well, we don't, we don't pay for that. So I was like, all right, it kind of hit me wrong. I was young, went younger and probably more full of adrenaline than I am today. So I took him <laughs> on the road. I took him on the road with me and I, and we got done with a day full of meetings and I said, all right, well, um, let's, let's go down to the bar. Uh, we'll have a couple drinks. Uh, we'll grab some dinner. Um, and then we get done with dinner and the bill comes, it's hotel prices, right? So we've had a few drinks. We've had dinner. This bill is, you know, five X what that movie in my room would have cost. Oh, and I just easy. looked up and I said, Hey, um, I can do this every time I go on the road or you can pay for the movie in the room. He paid, he paid for the movies, <laughs> but include the CFO in the sales process. Yeah. And that kind of my, my last one is, you know, similar uh, as far as getting people involved. But when you are able to do joint marketing or joint promotions, trade shows, anything where the two companies are working together and making that part of the deal or in the initial sales process or developing of the account, that is such a great way to keep the rapport going and working together without it being just a presentation demo, which a lot of sales reps, they don't know what to do outside of that or socialize. Right. Well, I mean, that's more skin in the game, right? It's that collaboration, especially today when all the stats show that buyers want to be collaborated with. Companies like that collaboration as well, especially if you're selling for a large enough organization where offering marketing or, you know, co-marketing or events and trade shows like you're talking about where that has like significant value to the people you're targeting. Um, I've, I've seen deals actually increase in size as a result of that. It's usually yeah. not a, you know, it's not a line item that shows up in your, uh, you know, in your product portfolio, but all of a sudden they were pushing you on price and you're like, well, Hey, let's talk about a way to collaborate on this event that's going on in, you know, New York city or Barcelona, Spain, that's globally, you know, whatever. And you can see them understand that you're in it for the long haul, number one. So you're dealing with their fear and you're getting out ahead of that. And you're putting in place ways that you continue to work together so you don't find yourself when it's time for renewals or you're trying to expand the account, banging your head against a brick wall. Yeah. And I had a client and they were having a hard time getting in front of this key technical decision maker who liked their product, but hadn't committed to like doing a, an enterprise deal. He was buying as needed. And they were like, well, you know, the end of the year is coming up. We know there's multiple seven figures that they're going to need over the next three years. But the guy's not working with us. And I go, well, why don't you get him engaged with your marketing department and say, hey, we want to come in and do a video uh, interview with you, and then we'll promote it uh, through our channels. Would you be open to that? And he was so flattered. 
Oh, yeah. That, that <laughs> you know, they flew in or you don't have to fly in. You could do it over the Internet. I'm, I'm not saying that you have to spend a lot of money. But when you promote your prospects and your clients, you help enhance their careers. You give them a platform, your platform, and they're promoting your product. <laughs> Right. You know, they ended up doing a $10 million deal with this company. It was like, you know, 20% of their revenue for the whole year because the guy all of a sudden greenlit everything that they wanted. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're talking, I mean, you're giving them, everybody, I think even especially executives, I, they understand the, the importance of uh, that personal brand as well as that personal brand and how it affects their organization, right? Because people that work for organizations, you like to see, I mean, unless they're getting escorted out by the cops, you like to see your CEO, right, get promoted. You want to see them, <laughs> you want to see them out there. It builds pride in the organization. So if you can give them platforms to do that, I mean, there's a great deal of value, I think, for both parties involved. And then again, it, it, it removes some of the fear around pricing, uh, builds that collaboration and, and allows you to make, you know, bigger deals. Yeah. And that your marketing department's responsible for producing content today, right? Blogs, podcasts, videos, testimonials, eBooks, and they need customer involvement. And when you're promoting your prospects it's not taking they, they love to see their name in print their picture on a website it looks great on the resume they gets their name out there makes them look their personal brand gets magnified it's a great way of breaking the ice and keeping that rapport going through the deal process as you build up the count the size of the deals all right, that does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Appreciate you guys listening with us. I want to thank Brian Burns again for the time to do this collaboration. Really enjoying the opportunity to talk to him and get his insights and kind of do a little back and forth. Don't forget, we want to buy you a cup of coffee, so please hit the website, b2brevexec.com. Uh, click on that link to the feedback form. Fill that out. Uh, we'll shoot you a gift card for cup coffee on us. And if again, if you're in the Denver area, let us know at accelerate at valueprimesolutions.com. Love to meet you in person and buy that cup of coffee in person. Uh, also, please share out the podcast, friends, families, coworkers. You guys have heard me say it before. More people that listen, the better off everybody is. And please always write a review for us on iTunes. We use those, again, to craft the content content of the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you and yours nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.